1: I'm Brian Tetta, executive producer of The View. It's Wednesday, and I'm here with Alyssa Farah Griffin. This is Behind the Table. All right. It is Wednesday. I'm here with Alyssa. Hello, Alyssa. Hello, Brian. All right. We had a really great show today, I think. It's been a strong week. Um, But we just had the uh, Democratic leader, Hakeem Jeffries, on today. What were your takeaways from the interview? I'm always interested because this is something that Republicans don't usually get to do is to to interview the the leaders of the opposition party.
2: Totally. Um, So it was also my first time meeting Leader Jeffries. I I know a lot of Democratic lawmakers, but I never happen across paths with him. What an excellent messenger for Democrats. I was was very struck by you kind of sense when you're interviewing people, you can tell the people who are on Talking Points and what they're saying is rehearse. And they were waiting for the question to tee up a certain answer. And there's kind of an authenticity to him in a like he's listening and then he's answering uh, in a way that I think I think is very powerful. And I think the way that I think the Democrats, frankly, could could learn a lot from how he messages. Um, and I think he's somebody that the Biden campaign should really think about putting out in key states to talk to young people Um just really a, a a good messenger for Republicans or for Democrats. I'm sorry, but I have to say what was so frustrating for me because okay on the domestic policy front he and i disagree on a ton like right. the democrats are always going to ch- cheer you know oh student loan forgiveness i think it was a mistake i think we didn't solve the root causes of student uh, uh, you know student debt and yeah, I you've think, been
1: consistent about that
2: yeah and i think that you know there's a so many americans a lot of my family who never got to go to college so if we're going to do that we've got to forgive you know small business loans that were taken out for people who are craftsmen but he talks about it in a way that resonates um what was tough for me on the, the the foreign policy national security front is I'm like, I cannot believe that in the year 2024, it is Republicans who are holding up aid to Ukraine in their war against Russia. Like I I am old enough of a Republican that I remember when Obama was in, wh- in the White House and Crimea was invaded the first mm-hmm. time. And we Republicans were angry that he didn't give javelins, like lethal defense systems, to the Ukrainians in their fight against Russia. How much that has flipped on its head in just 10 years, almost exactly 10 years, is heartbreaking to me. And it's the one truly unifying policy position at the table. Every single host fundamentally believes we have to stand by Ukraine.
1: No, absolutely. Um, I I was really taken with him. I'd never met him before either, but incredibly charismatic, Mm -hmm. obviously so smart, and um, really, like you said, a really good messenger of the successes of the Democrats and and Mm -hmm. kind of laying out what everyone's up against in yeah. a really profoundly simple but smart way. I thought it was great. You
2: have to wonder if he's somebody that the party's keeping their eye on to be, you know, to, to help tee up to be a future presidential candidate.
1: I, I'd be shocked if that yeah. wasn't something that someone was writing a list of, uh, of names and he wasn't close to the top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that happened on the show today... I can't really get into too deeply because it was the note passing, which was unfortunate in the live segment. Um, I'm going to ask this. Alyssa, are you uh, aware of the content of the note in question?
2: I'm aware of the content of the note in question. I cannot speak of it as highly classified in nature. Yes. <laughs> no, it's what the viewers don't realize, <laughs> but if you get to watch the show in, in person and be in the live studio audience, a lot of our conversation off camera is a bit more PG-13, if not R, like stuff we wouldn't say on daytime. Yes. But then sometimes it could almost briefly spill over onto air, if not for Whoopi being like, put it down. Yes. But that that's about all I can say about the note card.
1: Not since the mystery of Sarah's multiple mugs. <laughs> Will there be something that grasps uh, view nation in this way. Um, Somebody, I also, you
2: joked we should auction it off. <laughs> I mean,
1: I, I also am aware of the content of the note and agree it must never come to light. Um, and but the that's thing just, is is yeah. it's
2: vague enough. Yeah. Without context it could mean any sort of things. Although sometimes imagination is the worst thing because you're going to Yeah, I know you're the story come up behind the, the note
1: and that's really the, yeah. the thing. So it's nothing offensive or <laughs> no, nothing, no, no. nothing um, criminal. <laughs> but uh, it must never it's come to light. It's not going to
2: get Sunny hauled off to jail, that's for sure. No, I, I've burned the
1: note and no one will ever Ever see the contents of the note moving forward so yes,
2: we keep guessing listeners <laughs> yeah but enjoy
1: uh i'd like to hear a top 10 list of uh <laughs> yeah. contents of the note moving forward um speaking of fun vanderpump rules your favorite i think is that your favorite of, all the, favorite of all the bravo content um tom sandoval did a big interview in the new york times and received a lot of backlash for a comedy made comparing the media attention <laughs> his affair received to both oj simpson And George Floyd, Um, this came up briefly in the Hot Topics meeting. We didn't get to it today. But what was your reaction to this?
2: I mean, okay. so my 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 life before this, I, you know, worked in public relations and the government, but it was like, you know, dealing with crisis communications. So here is this man who blew up his life, created Skandaval and Bravo, who's got excellent PR people is desperately trying to create what in reality TV you would call a redemption arc they're trying to set up situations interviews things he can do to start making the viewers sour a little less on him and warm back up to him so he goes and he does special forces that show where you do all these crazy right. competitions I think they were thinking he's going to come back kind of a broken and humbled man no no he comes back as narcissistic as ever and as unapologetic as ever and then he gets this huge piece in the New York Times like in in honor and a privilege and he not only comes off without remorse utterly tone deaf and i think i think that he may not be very bright that's also probably part of it whereas like ariana you can tell if you watch the show she's a very intelligent woman um he like i'm just trying i can't even unpack george floyd and oj being in the same category one is somebody who did something incredibly heinous and you know whatever your thoughts are one is accused of accused of (laughs) another was a a victim in somebody who you know led to these important social justice you know movements that came from it and that he puts himself in that category like it's the narcissism but also the idiocy is unbearable
1: yeah and uh you know my hats off to the bravo team because they tried so hard i've worked in television long enough to know that sometimes you just have to sit there and and put your f- palm on your hand and oh no that just happened.
2: Well the best but- part was after, so he made that comment and they, the New York Times was supposed to shadow him to a Bravo taping after In the the Bravo publicist was like, no, no, no! are he's not going to be giving any more interviews <laughs> ever again. Time. They eventually let him. But it was like I, I like I could picture an RPR woman like her head would have just been exploding in that moment.
1: <laughs> They're going to lock him up with the note from today's episode. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> Never yeah, to be exactly. seen again.
1: Um, all right. Well, he posted an apology saying he was embarrassed he made those comparisons. D- does the apology matter at this point or is that just
2: done? No. And, and the problem is, as Bravo fans pointed out, is he was quicker to apologize for that than he was to apologize to Ariana for breaking up their life together and cheating with one of her best friends. And like, you know, so he is, no one's beyond redemption, but I don't picture that this is a man who's ever going to fundamentally change. The show is, you can't look away from it, but at times it's actually hard to watch just how tone deaf and unaware of how he comes off that he is.
1: Should we have Tom Sandoval on The View? I mean, what do you think? I mean,
2: the ratings would be gold. Yeah, I (laughs) mean, the, the... I mean, I bet there's no way, I don't know if Bravo would let him. (laughs)
1: Like, I'm getting a lot of head shaking from the control room right now. You
2: know what? I I think that I think that that's where he should come and make his case. I think so. By the way, I was I was kind of quoted in the article. They like one post described him as the Donald Trump of ex boyfriends, which was me. Oh wow! All right. I was trying to explain him to Joy because I wanted Joy to understand like what's wrong. And I was like, he's like kind of like Trump. Like doesn't go away. Doesn't take the hint. Doesn't apologize. All right. Well, never I, wrong.
1: I I think I, I think uh, if if the opportunity comes up, I'll, yeah. I'll consider it strong. Whether to bring him on or not, <laughs> I just think having a, you brief the host in advance of it would be very entertaining. Vicky
2: and I are on it, <laughs> yeah,
1: for sure. Um, all right. In other media news, John Stewart returned to the Daily Show, and Woo! you tweeted about loving his return. As you know, I'm a bit of a late night nerd, so uh, it was a big deal for me too. What do you? Why do you think he has such an impact on that show in this way?
2: Well, you and I grew up watching John Stewart. Yeah. Like I remember, like high school, college, like he was politics and John Stewart were kind of one and the same, and he was always somebody who equally took shots at both sides and that's something that i i think is missed in our politics now and Mm -hmm. i get it stakes are higher donald trump's more dangerous it's it is a different world we're living in than nine years ago when he went off air but he raises so many good points about just because one person is beyond the pale and so bad doesn't mean you can't criticize someone else but i was also living for if you're of a certain age John Stewart kind of ended Tucker Carlson about 10 years oh, ago sure. on CNN's Crossfire. hard uh, oh, no. yeah, yeah, fires yeah. yeah. Um I mean if you haven't watched the clip you have to watch it, listeners. Um and he once again did the most single most savage taking down of Tucker Carlson for his Russian propaganda interview. He's brilliant because he's incredibly intelligent, but he does it with humor. And I sometimes think humor in and po- and politics and mocking is more powerful than the most passionate, you know, front of the room inspiring speech.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm a, a Letterman guy, as everyone knows, and, and that Dave really changed late night television mm-hmm. in a certain way. And then the person that changed it into the next phase, I think, is Jon Stewart, which is where we get John Oliver and, and where Trevor Noah and, and those types of ways of delivering comedy and late night and news and the way that kind of became a hybrid. Um, And I don't think anyone's done it. I love John Oliver, but I don't think anybody's done it better than than Stewart.
2: No. And honestly, I was, I was a little skeptical that the ratings would, would be where, You know, would be high because we know people are a lot of people turning away from linear. A lot of, you know, younger people are not necessarily tuning in a Comedy Central. They're going to watch the clips later. But his ratings have been super strong. And then I noticed that his because they obviously post the whole show onto YouTube. He's getting millions and millions of views there, too. And what he's so good at and frankly, we're good at is. Everyone's talking about what he's talking about. So after his show airs, it gets like a two day news cycle of like reaction to Jon Stewart. Yeah.
1: I mean, there was a bit of a backlash from his liberal fans after the first episode because he really came for Biden. Um, he came for Trump, too, and savagely. But he mm-hmm. also came for Biden and talked about the issues with age. A lot of the stuff we're talking about on the show every day. He did it in a, in a comedic way that I think a lot of people weren't expecting him to be as tough as he was on it. And I assume you like that. You like that he's hitting both sides yes. so
2: hard. So I loved it. And he said something more articulately than I've been able to, but a point that I've been making for about the last six months, which is Donald Trump being the most dangerous president in modern history does not make Joe Biden immune from criticism. In fact, it actually means that we should be even hold him to an even higher standard, because if you're arguing democracy is on the line, you need to put the greatest fighter there to stop donald trump you need Mm -hmm. somebody who's the most world-class and ready to take him on so i've argued that i think it can at times undercut democracy is on the line but we're running someone that so many people just feel dispassionate about or they even have like really true concerns about and he also spoke to the the vitality issue of saying like you're telling me to not believe my own eyes and ears i get really frustrated because i hear a lot of Democrats who are strong supporters of Biden say, you know, it's a Republican talking point to be concerned about his age or vitality. But it's not. It's simply not. There are many Democrats saying it. I'm somebody who I want Donald Trump to lose. And on Election Day, if that comes down to Joe Biden being the only thing stopping him, I want somebody who I think is vital enough and strong enough to do it. Um, And I think I I think that I think John Stewart has an ability to kind of step away and take the emotion out of it and speak with a little more fact.
1: I've met the president a couple of times on our show, and I've always been very impressed by him, taken with him, the compassion he shows. the the He's so— impressive off camera it's been a few years i'm Mm -hmm. hoping that he'll come back on i mean that's what i think they need to do they just need to put him on shows like ours and um let him talk to the american people
2: i totally agree the first time i met him was when i was with pence um probably would have been about six years ago and then i briefly you know shook his hand at the white house christmas party um i will say this about biden for Democrats, he has an objectively good record to run on. I- I'd argue probably the most accomplished first term Democratic president that you can point to in you know the last 20 years. Um, he he is somebody who I think is a person of high moral character. I-, I don't take any of that away from him. It simply comes down to do people feel like he's in the place to take on someone like Donald Trump? And the best way to make the case is be out there, be talking to voters, be seen by them.
1: Yeah, I mean, on the heels of our conversation about debating on Monday now uh, Trump is out there challenging
2: Biden mm-hmm. to all
1: the debates and he'll do as many as he needs and everything else.
2: Exactly. And he's going to say he's going to I mean, the ads write themselves. He's going to say Joe Biden's hiding in the basement. Right. He's too old to do it.
1: So hopefully he'll he'll come around. Um, yeah. We'd love to have him on the show, of course. And, and I think it'd be the best thing for everybody if he puts himself out there. Yeah. In, in between running the country. We'll be back in a moment.
0: Step into the world of Hollywood like never before with Melissa Rivers Group Text Podcast. Melissa, renowned for her red carpet expertise and storytelling prowess, invites you to join her and her famous friends for hilarious and heartfelt conversations. From discussing the latest binge-worthy TV shows, navigating the highs and lows of life, and dissecting celebrity fashion, there is never a dull moment. With exclusive stories from special guests like Chelsea Handler, Cheryl Hines, your favorite reality stars, and deep dives into intriguing topics like the Where is Wendy Williams documentary, this podcast offers an insider's look into the glitz and glam of Tinseltown. It's not just Melissa's podcast. It's a collective experience where you're invited to join the conversation. So if you've ever wanted to peek behind the Hollywood curtain, subscribe to Melissa Rivers' group text podcast now on your favorite platform. Get ready for laughter, tears, gossip. In other words, unforgettable moments that'll keep you coming back for more. Don't miss out. This is one group text you won't want to exit.
1: The first ever criminal trial of a former president is underway in Manhattan. It's one of potentially four trials facing former President Trump as he makes his third bid for the White House. What do voters think about his culpability and would a guilty verdict make a difference in the election? I'm Galen Druk, and every Monday and Thursday on the 538 Politics podcast, we break down the latest news from the campaign trail. We sort through the noise and zoom in on what really matters using data and research as we go. That's 538 Politics every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. All right. We had a listener call yesterday um, asking about Sonny's time working at Fox News. And I know you were on that network for a short time after you left the White House. Did you ever consider working there? And what do you remember about that time?
2: (laughs) Um, So I was I was never there in a paid capacity, but I did a lot of Fox News uh, shortly after leaving the White House and my, I
1: mean, it was a natural landing spot for it, anyone on the Republican side leaving public office. If yeah, you're gonna it be was. And,
2: my, and I had I had a good number of friends there. Like, I've always thought very highly of Dana Perino, um, Jennifer Griffin I worked with closely as their Pentagon correspondent. It's, um, it's an interesting place. Mm-hmm. So I would oftentimes—and I was probably coming a bit off of being like a government spokesperson— but I would be surprised by how quickly a conversation would go so deeply partisan that I'd actually be like— I was the most boring on that panel because I was kind of listing some f- stats and some facts rather than doing a little more like the punchy, partisan um, sound yism That was my biggest perception, but also I, I think I've shared this on the show before. It was funny. I was getting booked probably four to five times a week um, in like the first few months after Trump left the White House, and I was on – air live when Donald Trump came back and did a CPAC speech. And it was kind of there to be like, is this his big comeback or after January 6th, has the party moved on? Um, I did, gave my analysis that night, never got a single call to be booked again, because wow. it was very clear that night he was back. He wasn't going anywhere. And this was the guy in charge of the party. Um, it's It's really interesting. I think that they put their finger on the scale in a way that I've never seen a major media outlet do. For a specific candidate, there's certainly partisan outlets that do for a certain party, but I mean, they did not help Ron DeSantis. I'd say they actively hurt Ron DeSantis. They've actively gone after Nikki Haley. Like they have helped clear the way to make sure that it's Donald Trump.
1: And you think that's just them looking ahead and doing the math and saying it's, it's going to be him and we just yeah. need to get on board and in, that's what the people want?
2: In Fo- The culture of Fox is everything's about ratings. It's right. not, there's not a lot of like, like CNN or ABC, it's like the reporters would be like, I got to break this big story. I'm here hearing the first one on mm-hmm. this scene. It's not that, at least with the big time hosts. It's who's driving the ratings and Trump for whatever reason drives ratings with them
1: Sonny was saying that when she was there, and this was a long time ago, but when she was on Bill O'Reilly's show, she would come onto the floors and each floor would have talking points. This is what we're hammering home today. This is the theme of the day. And it's such a different experience from what I live with here, where you guys go into the room and certainly people have their own personal feelings. They feel strongly about and want to try to direct the, the conversation in a certain way, but it's definitely coming from where you guys are.
2: Yeah. And I I think that at Fox, like there are so few counter voices that you have to be like, like Jessica Tarlov. I I joke that she's kind of like my counterpart on the five because she's the one Democrat with a very Republican leaning host. She's excellent every day. She's kind of like taking a beating, but she's ready with her facts. But it's it's a very unique place um and it's it's very much it's people watch it habitually if you're a fox watcher it's on all day um you're probably going to have very different takes on things like the war in Ukraine or whatever it may be because you're being fed virtually just one side of it.
1: Well, I also have to laugh whenever it's uh, a day where our show is being talked about, how it's just through the lineup. Every single show is led. You know, The View said this today. The View said this today. The View said (laughs) this today. It's pretty entertaining, frankly. Um, (laughs) But it's fine. Um, All right. Well, we have a few listener calls for you. Um, Let's take a listen to one. My question is for Alyssa. She's talked about wanting to see Nikki Haley as the presidential nominee for the Republican side. And I was curious, who, if Nikki was the nominee, she thinks would be a logical choice then for V T.
2: What a great question. Yes. So in my dream scenario where Nikki Haley would be the Republican nominee, I think it Very obvious choice for her would be Governor Chris Sununu of New Hampshire, my Mm -hmm. dear friend. I was going to say, yeah, you're Um, close to him. Yeah, I mean, it would make total sense. She's a, you know, former South Carolina governor, former U.N. ambassador with foreign policy chops. He was, New Hampshire, voted multiple times the most popular governor in the country, but he also oversees a purple state. So he's got, you know, a split legislature but still gets things done. Um, He balances the budget. He does things that, like, on the federal level we don't even, like, think of as possibilities. And they're both dynamic individuals. Um,
1: Now, here's a question, though. Don't you think that if she actually by some way did manage to get the nominee, she'd need someone more more MAGA, more?
2: Oh, that's an interesting point. But uh, I don't know. So that's an interesting point, because in a general, I think they would sweep. He's pro-choice, for example. Sure. But I guess if you're trying to not lose the MAGA, the problem is they're just never going to be with her. Right. That therein lies like the great Nikki Haley problem is – or Republican Party problem, I'd say, is a third of Republicans will never be with Trump, and that number's only going to grow if he gets convicted. But there is a solid third that's probably larger than that that will never be with a Nikki Haley or a non-MAGA candidate.
1: I, I, I know it's hard for you because I sense the frustration when Nikki Haley, who you're really just kind of holding on to the hope that it's the non-Trump alternative, but becomes the the <laughs> focus of the ire of the other co-hosts and, and the news cycle and everything well, else.
2: I mean, I guess— I think Joy's actually really come around to this. She and I've talked about it on and off air is she Nikki Haley's not running for Joy Behar's vote. and she recognizes that, but she does recognize that there's tremendous value in what she's doing in directly taking on Trump. Mm-hmm. And she acknowledges, and I don't want to speak for joy, but I, and a number of Democrats I've talked to that, she wouldn't be a threat to democracy. She would be a Republican leader where they'd have issues with some of her policies, no doubt, but the country would run. The world stage would be a safer place. She would get aid to Ukraine. We wouldn't get into World War III. And on those fundamentals, like they can live with that. Like we used to, uh, we should live in a country where it's like, I'm not going to pretend that it's all over if Joe Biden were to win again. It's it's just not. I'm not going to like some of the policies. I'm not going to like X, Y, and Z. But this sort of fear mongering of... Everyone's as bad as Trump, I think is really dangerous. I think it actually normalizes Trump. Right. No one no one in my lifetime, and I'm I'm on the younger side, no one in Joy Behar's lifetime has been as dangerous as Donald
1: Trump. No, and, and when a panic alarm is set for everyone who's opposing the party of your choice, it does start to ring false.
2: Well, exactly. And I've talked to a number of lifelong Republicans who they they're like, listen. They demonized every Republican like this. And if they're saying Nikki Haley's just as dangerous, it almost makes you want to just be like, screw it. I'm going with Trump.
1: I can understand that. I mean, I always laugh that mm-hmm. Joy is such a big proponent of Mitt Romney now because yeah. I wasn't working here, but I watched The View yeah, back then and, and Joy was yeah. not a Mitt Romney fan to, to <laughs> say the least. Exactly. And, you know, the dog on the roof and all that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> gr- I miss those kind of controversies. Yeah, that
1: was good stuff. That was good stuff. Um, all right. So I think we have uh, one more question here and it's from Joe from New York. This question is for Alyssa. First, a comment, though. I just want to say, Alyssa, I think you're great on the show. Um, We may not align politically, but uh, you often say things that make me think and that are smart. And so um, keep doing what you're doing. I'm sure it's not always easy, um, have it for other really strong personalities around you. With that said, I have a question for you. You have said on the podcast, you said on the show that Mike Pence is a man of character. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with that. But I do want to ask, do you think he would be a good president? Um, he's often gotten a lot of criticism for being too far right. Go.
2: What a good question. Um, and thank you so much. Um, so I'm going to kind of backstop into that and say this. Um, I think most any Republican would be better than Donald Trump. Um, but mike pence i got the benefit of both knowing him very very well personally but i also traveled to more than two dozen countries with him abroad and i met with countless heads of state with him whether it's prime minister modi of india vladimir putin i've talked about um president moon of south korea benjamin netanyahu like key leaders in world defense of macron um where i've seen him one on one directly be able to articulate what America's values are on the world stage why we stand by our allies why we oppose autocracies why we oppose dictatorships and why we give aid to our allies and he can do it with moral clarity with knowledge and experience that comes from having served on the foreign affairs committee for many years he can do that part of the job could have done it you know yesterday i think that's a place where he's very strong and I actually remember after one trip to Southeast Asia with him, there was a headline. I want to say it was NBC News that was like, can we just send Mike Pence on these trips instead of Donald <laughs> Trump going forward um, on, on on the domestic front? Here's what I'd say. Mike Pence is is objectively to the right of me on what we call social issues, whether it's abortion, gay rights and so on. And he, he knew that when I worked for him. Um, but he he would as president have to govern in the world that we live in, which is that Any sort of sweeping policies around those issues are going to go through a Congress, which is very likely going to be split. And on the issues of the economy um, and and jobs and like domestic security, I think he would be a thoughtful, strong president who I actually think the job would draw him toward moderation, not away from it. It's my fundamental belief that any, any real leader when they are in the White House should come out. More moderate, not leave it more extreme. And I think that's, I actually think that's true for most every living president. I think that the issues that rise to the level of the Oval Office are there because they weren't solved at every level before it. I left significantly more moderate than I, than I went in. And it was like a global pandemic. Well, you know what? Suddenly the federal government actually has a role in all of our lives. Um, Suddenly, you know, Congress signing off on, you know, aid packages or, uh, you know, getting PPP money out to people. That's something as a fiscal conservative, I would have scoffed at, but like the world was on fire. So I think, I think that he would be somebody who'd be more moderate, in fact, in office than perhaps what he would be as a candidate.
1: It's interesting. I'd never heard you say that before. So, so, Working for the White House did make you more moderate, still a Republican.
2: Yeah. But yeah, the federal government in general. I just I don't think I think that my perspective I have my perspective of what government has to do for Americans, um, the places where you can't eliminate it. Those do exist. That doesn't mean that government's the answer to everything by any means. Um, But the the federal government does have a role in the health, wellness and security of Americans. Do you believe most Americans are centrists? I actually do. I actually, I very much believe, really, and the, the stats bear it out. I think that most Americans are somewhere in the middle either whether center left or center right and it's the, the fringes are the loudest they're the most amplified social media right. touts them the most but I think most of us can meet on somewhere in the middle on most issues I think that too I think that too
1: mm-hmm. alright well listen this was really interesting and I always enjoy having you here so thank you thank you tomorrow I'll be back with Sarah Haynes the number to call or text us with questions is right here in this episode description thank you so much for listening please uh, send us a comment Don't ask what was in the note, because we're not going to tell you. (laughs) Never going to happen. But thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Step into the world of Hollywood like never before with Melissa Rivers' group text podcast. Melissa, renowned for her red carpet expertise and storytelling prowess, invites you to join her and her famous friends for hilarious and heartfelt conversations. From discussing the latest binge-worthy TV shows, navigating the highs and lows of life, and dissecting celebrity fashion, there is never a dull moment. With exclusive stories from special guests like Chelsea Handler, Cheryl Hines, your favorite reality stars, and deep dives into intriguing topics like the Where Is Wendy Williams documentary, this podcast offers an insider's look into the glitz and glam of Tinseltown. It's not just Melissa's podcast. It's a collective experience where you're invited to join the conversation. So if you've ever wanted to peek behind the Hollywood curtain, subscribe to Melissa Rivers' group text podcast, now on your favorite platform. Get ready for laughter, tears, gossip. In other words, unforgettable moments that'll keep you coming back for more. Don't miss out. This is one group text you won't want to exit.